Well, good morning. Uh, we're going to jump right in. Let's open up our Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. Hey, you can find that in the blue Bible in front of you on page 980. And I will say this again, if you do not have a Bible, we want to make sure that you have one. Uh, this, the Bible in front of you, take home as a gift to you. We want to make sure everyone has the Word of God easily accessible. So if you need a Bible, take one of these. Um, well, let's turn to that now. We are in the midst of our study of the book of Philippians. Pastor Aaron began last week with the introduction and the first 11 verses, and today we're going to be looking at verses 12 to 18. Uh, it was one of those uh, kind of interesting things whenever Pastor Aaron gives me a passage. I'm not quite sure what it's going to be. You may remember that one of the infamous passages I got it was John the Baptist was in jail and got beheaded. I'm like, oh, okay, I'm not sure what I did. So I started reading this one. It's like, all right, so Paul's in jail. I'm like, oh, great, what's, what's going to happen? But I mean, I know he wasn't going to be beheaded. So we're going to jump right in. Uh, interesting, I've been working with, uh, with teens for uh, 39 years, three different states, and there's something that I've noticed that they do, and I'm not sure if it's a game uh, or if it's just life for them. But All right, teens, close your ears. When I'm driving the church van, I hear everything. They don't know that I do, but I hear everything. And, and it's interesting, one of the, the, the things that happens is somebody will kind of start and go, oh, this is what happened to me this week. And they start telling a story. Before the story is done, the next person goes, oh, <laughs> you want to know what happened to me though? And they start, and then a third person will get in there and it's like, no, that's nothing. This is what happened to me. And it's just continually, they're going back and forth. I don't know, for lack of a better term, I call it the victim card game. It's kind of like, okay, I'll see you two victims. You raise, all right, I, I can raise that one. Oh, I forgot to tell you that this also happened in my story. And it just, it keeps going. I, I hear a lot of that stuff going on. Uh, and they keep going and going until they run out of their allotment of words for that day. <laughs> and seriously, it's like nothing gets solved. It's kind of like, and I'm listening. I turn around. I was like, all right, well, story time is done. They're, they're done doing that, and there was no reason. It was just kind of like they just want to share kind of what their week is, and I guess that's the best way uh, to do it. Um, but don't we all do that? At some point, somehow during the day, uh, we start talking about how we were the victim of something uh, that day. We start talking about it, uh, and, and because of that, I get to complain to you right now. So this is my right. Because this happened, let me tell you what happened. And, or we use that as an excuse. Well, the reason I did that is because this happened to me. You know, and, and it's kind of... A lot of times you can either call it the blame games, like it's not really me, it's what happened to me, or it's the victim card games because this happened to me, I get to say this or act this way or, or whatever is going on. The passage today is when Paul could have pulled out the ultimate victim card, and I don't think anyone would have called him out on it. Uh, as Pastor Aaron mentioned last week, Paul is in a Roman jail because he cast out a demon of a young slave girl. He did good. He's now in jail uh, as, a, as a result of it. It's interesting, I went back to read that passage, and he's not just in jail. 
Uh, there's a whole lot more. Let's read Acts 16, 22 to 24. So again, we're getting the context, and it's not just that he's in jail, but we get to find out what else happened. So again, he's, he has come in, and he, is, he and Silas have come in, and there's this uh, girl that is, is fortune-telling, and people making money off of it, and Paul says, you know, this, this isn't good. I want to release you from that and cast the demon out. And the boss is very upset. Well, you just took away our money maker. How are we going to do this? So he, they complain, and then this happens to Paul. So it says, The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Paul's like, I was helping someone. <laughs> and this is the result of it. And again, if you know what those terms mean, to be stripped and beaten with rods, to be severely flogged, till I think they say it's um, the 40 minus 1 lashes, 39 lashes if you've ever seen uh, the Passion of the Christ, you get a little picture of what that is like. And again, Paul's like, but I was helping someone. <laughs> I, didn't, I, I didn't break any laws that I'm aware of, and this is what's a result of that. So he had the right to pull out the ultimate victim card and say, well, let me tell you what happened to me. I helped someone, and this all happened. Let's look exactly what he does say in Philippians 1. 12 to 14. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has been horrible. I don't think I can go on. Oh, no. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it is better known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Not expecting this, Paul. You had every right to kind of just start complaining. And you'd even say, and I'm, it's cold here. They don't feed me well. I mean, he could have just gone through his list. So it's actually up to others who that come and visit to go back to the church at Philippi and say, all right, and this is, you know, this is what Paul's dealing with. He's, you know, the, 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 the cell has rats running around, there's flea, there's all this stuff. Paul doesn't even go there. He just says, the gospel is going forth and people are being bold in sharing. What an awesome view. So Paul is confident even though he is a victim. Paul isn't whining or complaining about his situation, he's confident in seeing the gospel advanced and being proclaimed without fear. Instead of going on and on about life in prison, Paul takes a very different approach. He takes a divine perspective on the whole situation, reminding the church that God's mission is being accomplished. People are being positively impacted by his imprisonment, and that Christians are being emboldened. He understands that God is using his imprisonment for the advancement of the gospel. 
Now, because Paul put the gospel ahead of his desire for comfort and ease, he's not freaking out here. He's actually rejoicing and making the most of his opportunities. And notice what Paul says. He says, what has happened to me? I mean, there's a difference between what we suffer due to our actions and what we suffer as a result of what others do. Here, he's not suffering because of bad decisions that he's made, but he's preaching the gospel, and others are not happy with that. Today in, in, uh, in Sunday school, we're going through 1 Corinthians, and we're in 1 Corinthians 4, and we're talking a little bit about how the culture, cultural norms sometimes overwhelm what Christ is calling us to do. And we talk, it's like, well, so why, why don't we live out what Christ has called us to do? And it's like, well, afraid of being fun of, being called out, not fitting in. You know, and, and that, that stuff is hitting us, and Paul is doing what we should be doing, and here is a, I mean, a, a horrific result of it. He's flogged, he's beaten, he's thrown in jail because of that. Uh, we don't suffer those kind of things, but we're still called to live that way. So as Paul was imprisoned, the elite imperial guard that it mentions here probably numbers around 9,000. They were hearing the good news. Uh, they worked directly under the emperor, and their job was not only to protect Caesar and his family, but also to guard the prisoners like Paul, who made it to Rome to make their case before Caesar. And Paul probably said, he goes, I have a captive audience here. They're they can't go anywhere. So I'm going to, and you know, again, in that passage in Acts, he goes, they were singing. There was a worship service going on. They were singing, and Paul probably said, oh, this reminds me, and he just kind of started talking to them about what Christ means to them. And these guys are kind of like, how long is my shift? You know, I, I'm, I'm here. It's interesting. He had a captive audience. At the end of the book, Paul, a lot of time, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure when we get to that, Aaron's going to hit that just as hard as he hit the introduction. Some of those things that we kind of skip over. But Paul passes greetings to the church at Philippi from the saints of Caesar's household. Paul got through. <laughs> he got through to them. There were people that came to Christ because they were imprisoned with him or guarding him. Paul led many to Christ. So, it's, again, Paul just has this view of, of everything and is able to kind of work through it. Uh, he also says that when others heard about his brave witness in prison, they were inspired to greater faithfulness and boldness. So through Paul's sufferings, Christians are becoming more confident, more bold, and they're speaking fearlessly. Have you, have you noticed that when, when you observe someone kind of pushing through a very difficult circumstance, and through that they continue to rejoice and continue to give glory to God, that you yourself become a little more emboldened to speak out about that. Uh, you know, because there's just, there's confidence when you see people relying on Christ and giving Him the glory, like, yeah, that's true, you know, and, and we speak a little more bold as a result of that. When we speak fearlessly for Christ or love faithfully for Him during difficult circumstances, we encourage others to do the same. No experience will go to waste. <clears throat> we talk in 
in youth group, kind of what, what our shape is. How do we know where God has called us uh, to be? We look at our spiritual gifts, the heart, uh, our aptitude, what can we do, our personality, and we end with the E is experience. God will never let an experience go to waste. And there are a number of stories where somebody went through something and was like, well, I don't know how God's going to use it. And then you hear back years later, it's like, interesting. So this is what happened as a result of this. I think probably the, the greatest um, story for me is my first year here. Uh, so in 96, when I started, Paul Wharton was on staff, and his son Dave was in youth group. And <clears throat> we went out to go grab lunch, and his dad had cancer, <clears throat> and he was just having a very hard time. And I remember sitting with him in my car. We we're actually over at Graydon parking lot, um, kind of just talking through stuff. And I said, I know what you're going through. And he looked at me, and, he, he, and not anger at me, but anger at the situation. He goes, no, you don't. And I go, yes, I do. My sophomore year of college, my dad was diagnosed with the exact same cancer your dad has. I know exactly what you're going through. I know the anger. I know the, <clears throat> the sadness. And it was just kind of, now, <clears throat> in my sophomore year of college, 1981, I didn't think that it would be 15 years until all of a sudden I was like, oh, that experience didn't go to waste. You know, and I think as a result of it, Dave and I had a very strong relationship where we were able to, we were very real kind of sharing and pushing through stuff. Uh, God is going to use what you're going through. It may not be in your timing, it's God's timing. Um, Paul's eyes were fixed on the glory of Christ. He saw the bigger picture of what was happening and why God was allowing this suffering. To me, it was when I was reading through this, the first thing that came to my mind is Paul's living out James 1, 2 to 4. And he's saying, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I'm like, that's Paul. Paul just lived that out, you know, and that's just, it's encouraging. It wasn't like, well, here's a, a random verse. It would be cool. What would that look like? We just got a picture of what that looks like uh, by Paul doing that. We never know how God might use uh, our suffering to advance the gospel because God is sovereign and is, is advancing his gospel. We should also view our circumstances as opportunities to share that gospel. We may not be in prison, but we still have plenty of opportunities to be discouraged, whether it's times of indecision, financial burdens, family conflict, church conflict, loss of job, loss of health. We have a lot of stuff that we are dealing with. How we act in those situations will reflect what we believe. Look for ways to demonstrate your faith, even in bad situations. And again, I get, uh, Paul Wharton came to my mind as I was going through this because I was able to work with him for a few months before he passed. His cancer and, and all that he dealt with did not make him bitter. He just shared that God's using this, whether it was the nurses and doctors of Valley that he was seeing. Specifically, it was Dan the mailman. We had one mailman that kind of kept through. And if the, the annex next door where the offices are, it's not 
uh, doesn't receive mail. You know, Grace Church mail comes to 340 Meadowbrook. But Dan, every time he would come and he would knock, because at the bottom, the first floor, there's a little officer. That was Paul's office. And he would come in and just kind of, hey, hey, Paul, how are things going? Uh, Paul's last year of life, he did a cross-country motorcycle trip on a Harley. And he came in, and, and Paul was like, I've been waiting for you. I got pictures. And for like 30 minutes, the mailman is sitting with him, and he's showing pictures. But he also knows what Paul was going through. Uh, and I believe, if, if I remember, he was, Paul, the, Dan came to Paul's funeral. Because he's like, this guy lived so much more than, than others who dealt with that same thing. Um, others are, are, are hanging because they believe there may still be one person for them to minister to. They're holding on that little bit more. There's someone else I can minister to. And, and, and Paul used that. And I know there's others in this congregation where they are, there may be one more person I can share gospel with. And they're, because they have a bigger picture, they're not just going to sit and turn inward and go, woe is me. But it's like, what can I do for others? How can I share with others? So now, now Paul shifts in verses 15 to 18. <clears throat> And he talks about two different motives from different groups of evangelists. Now, e- even though some believers were inspired by Paul's imprisonment, others were not. They looked at Paul's imprisonment differently. So we're going to look at Philippians 1, 15 to 18, but in the message. I like the message. It kind of gives a very, it's still scripture, uh, it gives a different view of things. So we're going to read Philippians 1, 15 to 18 from the message where we read, It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. I just, I wish I had that view of stuff. <laughs> all this stuff, you know what? Christ is being proclaimed. So he's, he's stating here the, the motives of two different groups here. The envious evangelists are filled with envy and strife. The empathetic evangelists preach out of goodwill. The former preach Christ out of rivalry. The latter preach out of love. The envious evangelists look at Paul's imprisonment as occasion to tear him down, to stir up trouble, and to elevate their ministries over Paul's. The empathetic evangelists care about Paul. So he's looking, he's like, there's a lot of stuff going on out there. I'm kind of in here, and there's two different things that, that are going on. Some are kind of like trying to say, oh, we'll see, well, Paul's in prison, so now I'm I'm better. And again, even in 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul talks about this. He says, some are saying, well, I'm of Paul, I'm of Cephas, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Christ. You know, they're trying to create divisions. And now Paul's kind of taken out of the picture. He's like, oh, I'm going to try to create my little tribe. I'm going to try to create my little group now. Um, And Paul says, if that's happening or not, but Christ is being preached. Isn't that awesome? So Paul recognizes that the message is more important than the motives. I mean, he's clearly in favor of serving with good motives. The the book of Galatians speaks to that, speaks to the desire for truth and right motives. But he's saying, 
it's not always going to happen, but if Christ is being preached, that's awesome. So Paul is joyful in spite of others. He again takes a divine perspective on the whole situation. Now, yeah, their motives may not be pure, and yes, they want to elevate their own ministries over Paul's, but Paul says, what then? Christ is proclaimed, the gospel is going out, and that's awesome. So a little, little behind the scenes, every Tuesday in staff meeting, at some point we pull out the bulletin and we put on the backside and either Mary or AJ goes, you have a title? And, and Aaron will always respond, uh, title forthcoming. And I said, one of those times that's actually going to get printed, title forthcoming. But I said, I, I just don't, I don't know what to pull out of that. And he said, well, typically when we're going through the books of the Bible, I just find a phrase from that passage, and I just, I pull that out. So I'm reading through it, and I'm like, all right. First I was, you know, trying to be a little not serious. And I said, oh, okay, let's say what then? And then I'm like, actually, yeah, what then? That actually fits really well, the whole passage. Paul says it here. He says, all right, so some people are preaching out of this reason, that reason. What then? Christ is being proclaimed. You know, are we going to get stuck in those things? It's like, well, no, we got we to really work on this aspect and why that's happening as opposed to the truth of it. Uh, now, Paul deals with that in other books, and obviously if you read all of Philippians, it's like this is, should not be what's happening but if it does, and Christ is being proclaimed, that's awesome. There, uh, Paul's Christ-centered focus uh, is what helps him to move on. The first part, the second part, his eyes are beyond what he's seeing and focused on Christ. What matters most to him is the gospel. Paul could rejoice in this because his ultimate desire was to see Christ proclaimed. The message mattered more to Paul than the message. Now, there are going to be preachers and teachers who do things that make us cringe. But are they preaching Christ? If so, then we should rejoice. That's a hard thing to hear and to say because kind of everything around us is, no, no, we've got to look at the motives. No, we've got to look at, well, does their whole life live that? I, again, kind of inside viewpoint of me, I came to Christ out of an extremely selfish motive. I didn't want to go to hell, so I chose Christ and followed Him. Not a pure motive. I mean, I'm hoping my motives are good now, but it's it's because I understand what that means, but we are sinful humans. None of us have pure, right motives, and Paul is saying, don't get hung up on that. Is Christ being proclaimed? Are people hearing the good news? Then celebrate it. Uh, at the end of the, the passage here, Paul says, I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. Now, your Bible probably has a, uh, some of the Bibles will have a, a, split, a section split right there. And it's interesting because it's, Paul says, I will rejoice, section split. Yes, I will rejoice. And that's the end of verse 18. So I went into, I walked into Aaron's office and said, do you get those rejoices or are those mine? And we kind of talked through it and, and, and it was like, you know what, you take the first rejoice, I'll take the second rejoice. I'm like, that works. Because that's what the book of Philippians is about. 
right? It's about joy and rejoicing. So Aaron is going to uh, pick that up next week. So however the verse is split up here, Paul seems to be rejoicing. Despite his circumstances, despite the motives of others, Paul is rejoicing because Christ is proclaimed and he will worship and rejoice and find joy in Christ. This reminds me of the end of uh, Habakkuk uh, where either one or two, we've gone through the book of Habakkuk here or Habakkuk because uh, we went back and forth with how do you say it. And the, the passage that just really kind of grips me is in uh, chapter 3, verses 17 to 19. And again, it's like, wow, the Bible kind of keeps just reaffirming what, what Paul went through. James says, consider it all joy when life is tough. Now we're going to look at how Habakkuk said it. In verse, uh, chapter 3, verses 17 to 19, he says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Despite everything, I choose to rejoice, and I will rejoice. It's not going to rob me of my joy. I'm sure that when James wrote it, when Paul wrote this and lived it, when Habakkuk wrote it, they weren't happy. This isn't what I want. But despite this, I will rejoice because I know that there's a whole lot more going on, <laughs> that I know that who is still sovereign, I know who is in control, and I know who my salvation is, and it's in God. Uh, so when we face opposition, how do we respond? Do we rejoice in the Lord? Do we share Christ, or do we collapse in fear? When we respond in love and grace through the Holy Spirit, God will enable us to step above our sufferings and make a difference in the world for the glory of God. Genesis 50, 50 20. Uh, Joseph is talking to his brothers and he says, you know, as for you, you meant evil against me. And you meant for this to, to, to tear me down. To, but God meant it for good. Romans eight twenty eight. Paul against, I think Aaron mentioned this last week, Romans 8 is just, read that every day. <laughs> There's so much encouragement and truth in that passage, and this is one of the verses that goes, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purposes. Despite your circumstances, God is working. We don't see what is happening. Uh, and we may not until the other side of glory. And we can look back and go, oh, now I see it. I was one of many in this little story that was going on in this person's life. I didn't really like going through that part, but I knew God was doing something. So I rejoice in that. Rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say, rejoice. Uh, what are your circumstances? Who are those who are opposing you? Are they winning out? Remember that God is with you and God is for you. 
He says in Hebrews, he puts five negatives together to emphasize when he says, when God says, I will never, 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 never leave you or forsake you. I think we need that reminder, you know, and we tend to kind of go, well, maybe, all right, maybe I'm the first that God is going to leave me and forsake me, (laughs) but he said, no, I'm never doing that. I will always be with you. Rejoice in the Lord always. Find joy in the community that Christ has given you here, to your left and right. (laughs) Find joy in that. Rejoice in the community. Maybe it's in your grace group. God provides community so that when the circumstances seem to, we, seem to be overwhelming me. When I'm not kind of happy with what's going on, that's the church being the church. You're, you're coming alongside of me. It's like, oh, but God is still good. God is still on the throne. Rejoice. There may be an opportunity where I need to come alongside you, and, and we're sitting out and having coffee. It's like, man, just life is horrible. It's like, you know what? God is still alive. God is working. Rejoice. We need each other for that reason. And this is Paul's encouragement to the church at Philippi. Yeah, most people looking at what I'm going through would say, this is really bad. No. I have a captive audience. People are coming to Christ. People are speaking more boldly. And even outside of this, people are speaking for Christ, and Christ is being proclaimed. Let's be encouraged in that today to work through those circumstances and find joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. Let's pray.